You're listening to the fourth season of Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship and how it can transform your everyday life. I'm Father Yuri Hladio, and I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in the field of liturgical worship. For our fourth season, Father Jeffrey and I decided to publicly publish a series of episodes which have hitherto been reserved exclusively for the patrons of this show. We'll be publishing them here exactly as they were heard by our patrons. Father Jeffrey and I release special private episodes for our patrons on a weekly basis, so if you like what you hear and you'd like access to much, much more, you can go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to become a patron. But for now, we hope you enjoy the public release of this episode. Welcome back, patrons, to another Q&R episode, question and response. It's not a question and answer, because we will not necessarily be able to give a fully defined answer, but it is a question and response with me, Father Yuri, and Father Jeffrey here as well. Uh, In today's episode, as promised, we will be addressing Andrea's second question that she asked about prayers for the dead, and particularly how important it is to pray for the dead. So, It sounds like Andrea understands the need to pray for the dead, but then I guess maybe what she's asking is how important is it actually to do that? Uh, And and, and I thought today maybe we could respond to this in a couple of different ways. One being how important is it for the community to do that together? And then how how much is it important for an individual to do that in their own prayers? Um, and is there a difference between that? Is there not? Um, what In what ways do we actually pray for the dead? Might be something interesting to talk about as well. But um, yeah, maybe we'll take it from there. In what ways, uh, kind of on a regular basis in the Orthodox Church, do we actually pray for the dead? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the very specific, you know, intercession that we make uh, for the departed, which is around you know, the memorial services and funeral services for a specific person. Uh, But in some ways, it permeates all of our liturgical worship in a way that it would be difficult to kind of parse out. You know, it's a regular function of uh, litanies of intercession that we pray not only for the living with all of their concerns, but we pray for for the departed. And, you know, no big deal is made about that. It's just, it's assumed that it's all part of the package of things that we are we offer ongoing loving concern you know for um there are certain uh, days of the week when that's even more highlighted so if you're doing divine liturgies um if your experience of divine liturgy is just sunday you may not kind of experience that but a, a saturday liturgy it's the saturday in the orthodox church retains the the whole concept of sabbath right it's the seventh day it's the day of rest it's the day our lord rested you know between uh friday in the tomb and sunday uh rising from the tomb in the resurrection saturday was was a day of rest and so saturday is very much the day where we commemorate uh all the the departed the the martyrs the saints and and all of of 
the Christian departed from, from all ages. There's special litanies added to the divine liturgy, you know, for that. We also have certain days of the church year, um, often called soul Saturdays, um, or other commemorations where uh, a divine liturgy, like I just described on, on a Saturday, um, you know, is served, but then there may be an opportunity to go out to a cemetery to bless the graves, to, to bring, um, you know, food and, and offerings and, and to share that kind of in a, some expression of communion between, you know, the living, you know, and the dead. So it, it really, it permeates all through, through our worship. It's, it's, it'd be very difficult to, to kind of start to say, well, no, that's not a good thing. Let's remove it, right? Or let's, let's downplay it because it, it's just present, you know, throughout the assumption in all of our services, not only, you know, are, is that happening, but that we are somehow joining ourselves together with all the company of heaven in terms of the angelic powers, with all those who, who have departed and all of those who are, are living. And, and it, that, that is not just an, you know, kind of question of time that people have departed before us and so forth, but also space and, and you know, place that, that somehow at every Orthodox uh, exp- you know, experience of worship, every Orthodox liturgical service, everybody is present. The, the entire one holy Catholic and apostolic church is present in our worship. And um, that all of the saints, all of the angels, all the departed, all the living are, are, are there at all times. And that's where, you know, any of our theology has to be situated. You know, if we're going to start talking about why do we do it, we have to recognize, you know, all of that about how we do it. And it's grounded in this notion of everybody who is in Christ being present in our worship at any moment. And so therefore, all those concerns come to the fore in the various ways that I just described. This discussion is related to our discussion last week on salvation, I think, because there are a lot of Christians when faced with the idea of praying for the dead that will frame it in a model of salvation, right? And uh, a common criticism against praying for the dead that you might hear is is that, well, they're dead now, and they are either in heaven or hell, and we don't get to change that. That's God's decision. Um, so maybe we could talk a little bit about that and reflect on that, and maybe how the Orthodox Church might not look at it so cut and dry. Uh, yeah, for certain. For certain. Um, I want to start one level before that, though, because sure. um, I think you know most of the problematic around that that you know articulate. You know, how can we you know effect a change here? What, what what's what's the point of our prayer if? you know, a, a decision has already been kind of made and finalized, you know, um, how, how is it that our intercessory prayer even works, you know, for, for the departed? Well, let's back up a step and let's ask about how does intercessory prayer work ever, right? So even for people who are still alive in our time and place that we might be minded to pray for, what is it we're actually doing you know, when we intercede for them, um, you know, if somebody is ill or somebody is unemployed or somebody is, you know, suffering from some kind of, you know, ongoing, you know, uh, crisis in their lives, uh, when we're praying for them, what are we actually 
trying to do? Is it to change God's mind? Um, is it to try to effect some kind of change in God himself? Is it that we have some prescribed outcome that we need, you know, to kind of come out of this? Are we somehow supposed to change, you know, whether it's medical issues or the laws of physics. You know, I used to, you know, belong to a group that, uh, you know, would meet for prayer and Bible study. And I remember being I'm really perplexed with the way intercessory prayer worked. People would pray for, you know, being able to get a parking space uh, in a busy downtown environment when they were going for a job interview. You know, this was the sort of thing they might pray for. And I'm sort of thinking, okay, so what is actually the modality of what's happening here? You know, when they're making this kind of prayer are they trying to you know change the laws of physics and make it that their car can fit it you know what what are they asking for and of course none of that it's the wrong way of asking the question right um when we pray for any concerns we have trivial or or absolutely you know catastrophic issues that are in people's lives we do it for one reason and one reason only we do it because we love because we're in relationship with one another, because we care for one another. And it's an expression of that love. And I'm sure that God in his heaven hears the kind of myriad of very specific things that we ask for and just shakes his head, you know, proverbially, you know, uh, because he's probably thinking, I have so much better ideas and plans in store for you. And you're asking, you know, for all of these things. It's a bit like that unmerciful, uh, you know, debtor who goes to his Lord, you know, and, and says, you know, would you just give me a bit more time to, to pay this off? That's his intercession, right? Give me more time. And the Lord says, I forgive you the entire debt. You know, so the, the, just taking that part of the parable obviously goes on for, you know, it, it tells a, a completely different follow up to that. But the, the point is God gives him something far greater than what he wanted to ask for. But the point in all of our intercessory prayer for one another, for us as living people, and I think, you know, the, the, the people you say object to praying for the departed will still pray for one another, you know, and they don't view that as, you know, somehow uh, not going directly to God. Uh, but they see that as, you know, you ask each other to pray for each other because you care, because you love. It's an expression of our love. And so beyond that, intercessory prayer, even for the living, is a tremendous mystery. I don't know how it works. I don't know if it works or why it works or, or you know, why God answers some prayers and why he doesn't answer others. Why did that guy get his parking space before his job interview? But, you know, that woman whose son at age five has got some sort of dreadful brain cancer, her prayers aren't answered, you know? I don't think you can map this onto some sort of rational paradigm or grid of this is how the thing works and how it's designed to work. It's about expressing our love and concern for, for, for others. And we hold each other up before God because we love. So it doesn't make sense. Let's just admit that right now. Intercessory prayer doesn't make sense. So then you come to the departed. The only question becomes not, does it make sense? Because it never makes sense, right? But do we still love? Do we keep loving? And to me, the answer has to be yes. And I think that's what our liturgical tradition in the Orthodox Church uh, for 2,000 years, and even you know back before that, we know in Jewish tradition, people prayed for, for the departed. It's about that. Not because 
we know or understand or think it's going to do this, that, or the other thing, although there are attempts to try to do that. I just, I don't find them satisfactory because intercessory prayer, full stop, doesn't make sense. But do we still love? And are they still alive? I mean, in the sense of, do they still exist? Because if not, then, you know, what would be the point, right? That all we have is a memory of them. Well, no, that that's not our theology. Our theology is that the those who have departed in Christ are alive in Christ. They're awaiting the fullness of the, the resurrection to come back body and soul into one, you know, holistic being again. But for now, they are being looked after. How and where and, and what shape or form, we have no clue. We have hints from scripture, but not much. But if they exist, and if we still love, then we pray. And there's no other explanation. There is no other rationale possible. Intercessory prayer doesn't make sense for the living. It doesn't make sense for the departed, except on the basis that we love and care and still have this bond, this communion of the saints that the apostolic, uh, the, 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 creed, the apostles' creed talks about, right? The communion of the saints, which is an early Christian idea of that all the church militant and the church triumphant, you know, if you hear that, you know, the, the church still on earth, the church already awaiting the resurrection, all of that comes together in every worship service, in every moment that we pray, whether it's in the assembly of the church, whether it's in our private prayers, we join ourselves to that communion of saints and that prayer of love. And we don't ask any further, you know, why the whys and wherefores of, of that prayer. Because honestly, I can't make sense of it when you ask for me to pray for you when you get a cold. Uh, what, what am I actually doing? And who am I trying to persuade or convince? I do it because I love you and because I care for you and because you've asked and because that's our bond of prayer and, and love together, not because I can make any sense of it. So the prayers for the departed don't really exist in a different category from that. Uh, there's this poem by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, you know, we have to bring up C.S. Lewis. Our father among the saints, the great church father <laughs> of the 20th century, yes. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. His feast day is coming up, I guess, you know, November the uh, 3rd, I think. Uh, no. uh, 23rd, isn't it? Uh, 23rd, yeah. yeah. The same same day as Aldous Huxley and JFK. That's right, yeah. Uh, well, he, because we're talking a lot about prayer and, and especially like, we don't really necessarily know what we're doing when we're praying. No. Right? And and he wrote a poem about that. Okay. <laughs> um, have you ever read it, Father? I, I, I may have. I, please read it and I'll I'll tell you whether I remember it. It's called a footnote to all prayers. Okay. So there are a couple of words in here that I think I'm going to mispronounce, but I'll do my best. So, yeah. So this is the purpose of this poem is to be like any, any prayer you say, right? You say like, Lord, watch over my mother or Lord, watch over, you know, da, 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 da. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. You should always have a little, you know, footnote. Number one, go to the bottom of the page. And this poem would be what you would footnote all your prayers with. Mm -hmm. So this is how it goes. He whom I bow to only knows to whom I bow when I attempt the ineffable name, murmuring thou, and dream the Phidian fancies and embrace in heart symbols I know which cannot be the thing thou art. Thus always, taken at their word, all prayers blaspheme, worshipping with frail images of folklore dream, and all men in their praying, self-deceived, address the coinage of their own unquiet thoughts, 
unless thou, in magnetic mercy to thyself, divert our arrows, aimed unskillfully beyond desert. And all men are idolaters, crying unheard to a deaf idol, if thou take them at their word. Take not, O Lord, our literal sense. Lord, in thy great unbroken speech, our limping metaphor translate. That's brilliant. No, I have never come across that. That's very surprising. Um, I don't know, you know, how it got passed down and, and everything. I thought I'd read most things from C.S. Lewis, but no, it's absolutely brilliant. And he points out precisely, if you take us at our word, the way we pray and the kinds of things we ask for, that they are blasphemy and idolatry. You know, the, 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 the literal sense of what we do. So that can't be what it's about. Right. It has to be something beyond that. And so if God can translate that into anything, let it be into the loving intention and care and concern, you know, we have and everything else rests with him. You know, that's his business. Right. Um, you know, Bishop Callistos Ware, uh, tells this really funny anecdote. Um, you know, because you know, you may know that, you know, Origen and then St. Gregory of Nyssa, you know, from the early church, tended towards thinking that all will be saved, right? That eventually, you know, uh, the God's love will be so compelling that, that everyone will be saved, including St. Gregory of Nyssa hinted, the devil himself, you know? And so uh, Bishop Callistos was once, I think is maybe before he was a bishop, but he was at, at some time in, in Greece and he was in the car with uh, a Greek bishop. Then he thought, well, I've got several hours to pass, you know, on this car journey. Uh, what will we possibly talk about? And he thought, well, this man, you know, knows St. Gregory of Nyssa. He's a Nyssa scholar or whatever. I'll ask him a question, you know, keep us going for some time. And so he asks him, well, if it's true that, you know, St. Gregory of Nyssa says that the devil himself might be saved, why don't we pray for him? Brilliant question, right? And the bishop's answer was, mind your own business. <laughs> mind your own business. Well, it, which is true, you know, because in that regard, this is all up to God. This, this is God's realm and God can do what he wishes with that. And we do mind our own business when we pray for those we love, you know, and we care for them. And as long as we don't impose on God our volition, our will, and and try to kind of manipulate him into doing what we want, which is kind of what's implied by blasphemy and idolatry in this poem here. The point is God can take our intention of love and work with that, right? And so, yeah, I don't know how it works when I pray for you and re in, in, in the world that we're in. And I don't know how it works when I pray for my departed loved ones and, and, and so forth. Just why I get really, I'd have to say cross with people in the Orthodox church when they say, well, you can pray in this way for this person and pray for in that way for that. Well, that one wasn't orthodox, so that you can't use the words of this prayer. None of the words of the prayers, you know, are adequate. If you pray in love for anyone, that can only be a good thing, right? And God will work with that. And so beyond that, we mind our own business. <laughs> according that's, to a, that's a crucial point, because if you say you can't pray for someone for some reason, what what effectively you are saying is that you understand God enough or you understand how God works enough to make that call. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 that to me is this kind of blasphemy and idolatry, which if you're doing it intentionally is a problem. You know, C.S. Lewis points out that it's kind of all accidentally blasphemous and idolatrous anyway, but 
let's at least have the intention of allowing God to be God, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and essentially, I mean, the, if you unpack the nature of our prayers for each other, as well as for the departed, it's about commending people to God. It's not about, you know, dictating what he's going to do. It's about, you know, asking for God's mercy. And is that an unusual thing? No, that is God's property. It is his nature to be loving and merciful. So we're, we're working with the grain of God, as it were, you know, and just commending people, you know, to God and in our love. And that I don't think you know, should, you know, create any of the, the kinds of problems. I think, you know, the, the, the Western Christians, the, you know, Protestants or whoever who are maybe a little bit shy about all this are still kind of reflecting a Reformation concern with, you know, late medieval Roman Catholicism that similar to what you just said, we're kind of offering very clear cut you know, programs here, you know, uh, if you do such and such a thing, you get X number of days in purgatory. And, you know, this prayer will remove this number of days and doing this action or going on pilgrimage here will remove this number of days. I mean, this is not at all what we are about, right? Uh, we commend to God's mercy and grace and love those whom we love. Point final, you know, that's it. We, we don't go beyond that. We're not trying to programatize the thing or dictate what God is doing. We mind our own business beyond the love that we're called to share. So what are ways that we can bring this into our own lives at home, our own spirituality, um, as opposed to just experiencing this in church? I think, I mean, the, the quick answer to that is that everything we do in church, we can do, you know, at home in terms of the litanies and prayers and, and so forth. And yes, there are prayer books that have, you know, specific morning and evening prayers, which we can use, which have prayers for the departed. But there's a really important thing that we can do personally or in our, our own kind of families that it, it's harder to do um, in the assembly of the church. And that is that there's a kind of tipping point uh, between praying for someone and asking them to pray for us when they're already departed. You know, it's easy for me to say, Father Yuri, I will pray for you. Will you pray for me? We can kind of reciprocate that. Um, the church in its public worship only asks the prayers of you know, those that it is glorified or publicly recognized as saints. It's not to exhaust the possibility of who is a saint, right? It's not to say these are the only ones who are saints and nobody else is. I mean, St. Paul calls all Christians saints. So in the public worship of the church, we can pray for anyone. And that it is literally the case because at every divine liturgy, we pray for the Theotokos, Right. Not just asking her prayers, but we pray for her um, and all the saints. So we do that. But we also those who are glorified as saints, we request their prayers. We ask them to intercede for us and pray for us. And the image there is totally scriptural. It's from you know the book of Revelation, the image of the martyrs and saints around the throne, the altar of God continually interceding on behalf of the whole church, right? So this was an image of, you know, that St. Saint John uh, had of a vision of, of what the church in heaven is like, right? So that's the public worship of the church. Well, at home, you can go beyond that and you can, with, you know, no problem at all, ask the prayers of your departed loved ones. So the same way you pray for them, you could ask them to intercede for you. So I'm thinking, you know, a young child who's lost grandparents or parents could 
easily address prayers to those people if they died within the church and say, you know, mommy, daddy, pray for me, you know, uh, look, at, help to look after me, uh, you know, and in, in the same way they would have done if they were still alive. And as I say, that's the, our, our fundamental theological conviction that death does not separate us. The death is a, is a gateway into the new age. It is not the end of human life. And if that's the case, then, you know, we can ask prayers of those that have departed who are not yet glorified as saints. Now, and it's not a hard and fast, you know, rule that, well, that never happens in the, the public worship of the church. It can only happen in private because the only way somebody eventually does get recognized as a saint is that it starts spontaneously happening in the public worship, you know, as well. So, you know, uh, in, in Canada today, there are saints who are not widely recognized and glorified, you know, in the church, but their prayers have begun to be requested. People like, um, Saint Arseni or, uh, Matushka Olga and, and, and others who, I have a I have an icon of Matushka Olga. Yeah, but she's not officially a saint. She's not on any calendars or whatever. But there are people began to to ask her prayers because they knew her and they and they knew that she did not cease to exist. So the, it, we have this kind of happily fuzzy way of treating saints in the Orthodox Church. So, but but very definitely, I would encourage anyone. You know, the the, the wider people who are departed in your family. Ask their prayers, pray for them, ask their prayers, because what what you share is a bond of communion in Christ and a bond of love and, and, and prayer. And it's not, you know, well, the church is going to say one day to the next, well, no, this person can't hear prayers and now they can because now we're publicly making, you know, the statement that, that they're a saint. It's, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's it's much more organic and fluid and holistic than than the the kind of process that maybe the Western church had adapted, you know, over time of having, you know, now we're going to uh, canonize a saint. You know, we don't have that. We, we, we recognize what God has already done in people publicly, but there's nothing to say that you can't in your private prayers, not only pray for, but pray to in the sense of asking prayers of or in asking people to intercede for you. One of the things that I think are, is, has been very, very valuable in my own spiritual life has been the one of the reasons we pray for the dead is to remember our own mortality, right? And sometimes there are days where we pray for, well, a priest, when he does the preparation for the Eucharist with the bread, he's he remembers both living and the dead, and there's lists of names. And sometimes there are services, you do um, memorial services or whatnot with lists of names of people. And if I ever start feeling maybe a little tiresome that there's maybe too many names and I could just shorten this and cut some names out or whatever, I always think, well, one day I'm all, all I will be is a name on a list that someone will remember and they'll say for, you know, for the priest Yuri and no one will know who that is, but I'll still be remembered in prayer by, mm -hmm. by, by people, you know, here or there. Yeah, and, and we do that. We have we keep lists and 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 books where their names in them. We have, you know, the, sometimes you know things like icons or you know in Western churches stained glass windows will have the names of people in them. We have cemeteries with tombstones with people's names on it and everything, and everything that we can do to kind of keep up that that memorialization, you know, is re really really important, and it's part and parcel of that. So it's our remembering our own mortality. It's knowing that other will remember us when, when we're gone and, and so forth. But what I do want to maybe um, lay to rest 
um, so to speak, um, is the notion that um, well, what happens if you're forgotten that way? What you know, what happens if you die and you don't have a family uh, that will remember you that way, or if you don't have a tombstone that's in the place of a cemetery where they regularly do blessing of graves, or you're not on somebody's list and having an annual you know memorial or whatever, and you, there isn't that person you know praying for you. Are you somehow on some sort of sub- like do you need uh, do you need like thirty memorial services prayed for you well, in order to get to heaven? Yeah, well, are you going to end up in like steerage part of heaven? You know, because you just haven't been prayed into you know some sort of better business class or first class. Yeah. Um, uh, let me just absolutely assure people that because this isn't about the mechanics of God's working our salvation, this is about the bond of love and prayer. And, you know, that's a sad thing, actually, if somebody dies and is not remembered, you know, by other people in love and prayer. I mean, something's maybe gone wrong there, you know, um, and it's it, there's a story to be told about, you know, how that happened, whether it was a broken family or you know, some sort of alienation that took place or, or whatever. I mean, it should be the case that there are people there to pray for us when we go, because somehow or another, we've been in a, in a really loving bond and, and communion and so forth. But it, that's God, again, is, doesn't have his hands tied by what we do or don't do. And by our feeble, weak prayers on, on behalf of one another, it's not about effecting this, that, or the other thing, which is why, again, it's a bit disconcerting when people try to... Sp- kind of sell or peddle that version of things, whether it is kind of late medieval Roman Catholicism with the idea of days off purgatory, or whether it's, you know, kind of endless other models that can be proposed about, well, you know, pray on this day because that and pray on that day, or, you know, make sure you get exactly on the one year memorial because whatever. I mean, none of that is what this is about. It's about the love of God and the love that we can show for one another and should continue to show for one another because we are in God. Well, that does it for another episode of the private podcast of Enacting the Kingdom. Thank you again for all your support. Please feel free to comment with any follow-up thoughts or questions. Father Jeffrey and I read them all. Looking forward to having you back soon. 